Thank you so much, Deacon Sincheng, for leading us, and thank you always for coming to join us in our services to listen to God's Word. Would you consider yourself a failure or success? Would people around you consider you to be a failure or success? And that's not an unimportant question to ask, and you might ask, what's the definition of failure or success? So how many of you um, got driver's license, you're le legit drivers? Okay, all those who have driver's license, hands up, okay, good. What's the hardest thing of a driving test? I think the hardest thing in the driving test is parallel parking. <laughs> so I took my test many years ago in Malacca, close to my hometown. In those days, no power steering. In those days, no air conditioning. You took your test and uh, it's, I don't know what it's like here, but I think it's quite different from what you have here in terms of the, the driving test. Uh, people, public, you know, are allowed to go to the driving centre and watch each person do the test. <laughs> Can you imagine that as you do the motorbike test or the driving test, there's a crowd of 50 people, 100 people standing there, and with a window wound down and there's no power steering, you think, try doing the parallel parking. And there will always be the spectators' opinions of you, right? This one cannot make it. Lah. <laughs> this one cannot. In all three languages, right? So but as you sit there driving, then you're standing in queue, I'm standing in queue, you, you keep listening to all those things, cannot make it, CMI, CMI, cannot make it one, right? And so even though you have the greatest confidence, you might fail. And so in life, you may start off with great confidence, great hope, great aspirations, great inspiration. But what stands in the way of our earthly success? May I use the word glory? What stands in the way of our earthly glory? Okay. It could be laziness. Laziness. You may be gifted, you may be intelligent, but by sure laziness, you're never going to reach your full potential. How many of you are in that category? Don't put your hands. You could, be, you could never reach your full potential because you're a procrastinator. And you think the definition of tomorrow exists for you to procrastinate. Tomorrow, God created tomorrow so that I can do it tomorrow. So you think it's like that. Or you get into bad company. When you're younger in your teenage years, your parents told you to be wise and selective of the friends you make in school. You drop your guard a little bit, you drop your guard a little bit more, and before you know it, in the company of people who are not helpful to you. And negative peer pressure that leads you not up the ladder, but down the ladder, down the gurgler. You only need to ask Pastor Jeff, and the whole bus ministry of men and women who did something wrong in their lives and they began by choosing the wrong friends who encouraged them down the gurgler instead of up the stairway of success, as it were. And then you could not reach your full potential because of distractions in life. And for the next gen, and actually, to be honest, for every gen, this is a huge distraction that takes up two, four, six hours of your day and if you don't watch this digital distraction, it will lead inevitably to digital addictions. And so the common thing about all of them is what? Whether it's laziness, procrastination, whether it's bad company, whether it's distraction or addictions, I think the common thing is instant gratification. 
And instant gratification functions, let me enjoy the pleasure of this moment, let it seize this moment for myself, and when you embark consciously or unconsciously on instant gratification, what will happen? You will live with delayed duty and delayed responsibility. If your life is a series of delayed duties and delayed responsibilities, you will never live out your full potential. If that is one analysis of what it means between success and failure, getting on or falling back in this world, ask the bigger question as we read the Epistle of Romans. What stands in the way of your eternal glory granted to Christ and Christ alone? And Paul has outlined three things that might stand in the way. In chapter 67, he says, you try to treat sin with the law, it will never work. Because the law was never meant to cure sin. Never. And then in chapter 8, he's going to home in on, if you are sons and daughters of God, you will suffer en route to heaven, en route to glory. And you could be asking in the first century, so why believe? I already have enough suffering without believing in God. And now that I believe in Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord, I got an extra dose of suffering. Whether it's the first or 21st century, the gospel truth is this. Suffering is a must as the journey to glory. It's not may happen to you, it must happen to you. This is something you will take on board in the journey. And so how do we overcome? This is a possible outline of Romans 8. He introduces us to the most important person that you and I need to know and to be aware of to travel from earth to eternal glory is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so he speaks about the Holy Spirit as the spirit who gives life as opposed to the spirit of death when we embark on law and sin. He speaks about the spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit who makes us and assures us that no matter what happens in life, we are truly the children of God and heirs of what God will give us in Jesus and through Jesus. He's ultimately the spirit not of suffering, he's the spirit with us in suffering, but he's the spirit who will bring us to glory. And so up to this point, if you notice, for seven chapters, Paul has mentioned the spirit four times. And the verses are given to you, 1, 4, 2, 29, 5, 5, 7, 6. But in chapter 8 itself, he mentions the Spirit 21 times. And the scholars tell us that of the 21 times, 19 times, unambiguously, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The word is pneuma, from which we get pneumatic, pneumatic tires, right? So pneuma, and two references, perhaps, our human spirit. And so the focus is, he's now introducing us to the next most important person, we can put it that way, after knowing the Lord Jesus. Because you can only come to know the Lord Jesus through, uh, only come to know the Spirit through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. He dies, He resurrects, He ascends to sit at God's right hand, and Jesus, together with the Father, send the Holy Spirit into the lives of believers. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that assures us of sonship and inheritance. So 21 times in Romans, Paul's focus is not on the person of the Spirit. It's on the work of the Spirit. And so he spends time explaining to the Roman Christians, though you live with increasing persecution under Rome, 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit that will take you from sure suffering to surer glory if you believe in Jesus. Sure, you have suffering, but beyond suffering, there's a surer ending. It's not suffering forever. It is glory forever. And so, with that, we understand this better. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This status of no condemnation from God is only available to one group of people, those who put faith in Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life, he now objectifies the Spirit's work. He, it's like a law, a new law in your life. The law of Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from a different law. What will set you free from the law of sin and death? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And so he goes on by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. So this is why God sent Jesus to come from heaven to earth. The likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned not us. He condemned sin in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk never according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Flesh is Paul's way of thinking and teaching word. Don't ever try to rescue yourself by your self-works. It will totally fail. You are a drowning person. You don't know how to get out of this situation. Everything you try to do by your flesh will condemn you forever. And so, in summary of the first part, he says five things of the Spirit's work. Because of the finished work of Jesus and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, you are freed from condemnation. And the background to this is chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I should not do, I do. Who will get me out of this? I know the law is the mind of God. My flesh weakens it. So previously when he tried the old formula, the old operating system, law to deal with sin, law was to expose sin, law was to condemn sin, law was never given by God to cure sin. And that's very important for us to realize. You see an asterisk there and a very small asterisk. I'm supposed to give you an illustration. So what precautions did you take? What advisories or laws was given during COVID by the, by the civil service? All the different ministries, all the, so many. This is one of the laws that was given to us as preachers. You remember this? That we were not allowed to preach without a shield. Right? Do I look good? Of course not. You know how hard it is to preach with this? Your bad breath gets to you, though you're preaching good news. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> I'll be a fool, I'll be innocent, I'll be a total fool to think that this thing is the cure to the COVID virus. Right. The only thing it does is perhaps at that time, they haven't discovered the vaccine, this could slow down the droplet spread. Somewhere along the line, the Jews thought that the law was given by God to cure sin. It was to tell you, thou shalt not commit adultery. Watch your eyes. Thou shalt 
honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not covet. It tells you those things. It exposes sin and then it condemns sin if you fall short. And so we're totally mistaken to think that that was, that's the old operating system. And God never gave it as a cure. God gave it as a temporary measure to lead you to the law fulfiller, Jesus, who would come now as the ultimate cure. And with Jesus, it's a one-time vaccination. You don't need to go for booster shots. Just one time believe in Jesus and you're totally immunized from God's wrath. No condemnation. So as you sit here, is that how you feel this Sunday? Is that how you feel when you listen to this, wherever your tuning is? That you live without condemnation or you live tentatively? I sin in some ways, I, I do well in some ways, you're, you're still stuck. If you're truly a Christian and you know Romans 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for all in Christ Jesus. You should live with a lightheartedness of heart, a liberation that all your sins against God have been pronounced, forgiven, forgotten, as if you never did the sin in the first place, as if you never did the sin in the first place. That's the meaning of the word justify. Totally guilty before God as judge in the celestial court, but God pronounces you totally innocent as if Chris, Sin Cheng, just put your name there, never sin in thought and word and deed. So now alive due to the Son and the Spirit. Now you live to please God. You don't wake up each morning saying, how can I please myself? How can I please myself? That's what you do. The, the first thing you turn on your phone is how do I please myself? The first thing you should do is turn to God, read His Word. Thank you, Lord, firstly, for saving me. Thank you for blessing me with all the blessings, earthly and more importantly, spiritually. Turn to your spouse, thank you for Mona, my wife. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my church. Do you, do you thank God for ARPC? Just checking. Just checking. I was so encouraged last week. I was so encouraged by the many different races who came, Malays, Indians, Chinese. I was so encouraged by many of our youth who could see them, you know, just rushing to, to say hello to President Halima. They were so proud and wanted to take photos. And each one of them just said, thank you, Pastor Chris. Thank you, ARPC, for... They're so proud to invite their friends. Proud in a good way, inverted commas. We live as servants of the gospel, to share the gospel in different ways. We live to, to serve others. In the future, if we live this way, we'll be raised like Jesus. Therefore, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. So now alive due to the Son and the Spirit, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. And what does this mean? God sent Jesus from heaven to earth for two reasons, according to Paul in Romans 8. As a man, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be like us, except he didn't sin. That's the massive difference. And as a sin offering and for sin. In the words of one writer, he says, Jesus became what we are that we might become what He is. He became what we are in our fallen nature, but He never sinned and became, and we became what He is in His new glorified nature. That's not a bad quote, don't you think? 
Just in case you're wondering what on earth did Jesus come to do, Jesus did not merely come to give you self-improvement. He did not merely come to give you blessings and success in this world, however you might define it. He came so that you might become who He is, what He is. More of that later. And this falls into the big message from Romans 5 to Romans 8, which is one whole section after it spent the first three chapters telling us what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. From chapter 5 onwards, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have died, believe in Jesus, and redeemed to the glory of God. It's the journey from inglorious lives, fallen short of God's glory, to risen to glory in Christ. God has never changed in His purpose. He made you and me in creation to bear His glory. He redeemed you and I to bear His glory. And so, what does this mean? It means this. <clears throat> For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so you speak of what? So it's a transfer, the heart of Jesus' work. He's taking you from your sinful fallen lives. <clears throat> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, as he examines both Gentiles and Jews. All is comprehensive, but all are now redeemed to bear the glory of God, fulfilled in Jesus. I just want to pause there, just in case you've tuned off. Do you believe the first statement in 323, that you are part of the all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? From morning to night, your experience and my experience is you are not who you, God created you to be. You have fallen short of His glory. And so we live with our mum, look after my mum after my dad passed away for about 22 years. We had wonderful experiences and wonderful moments with mum. But mum, like everybody else, has a weak side. And one of the weak sides of my late mother was she was hypochondriac. You know what that means? It's a medical term. She kept imagining she had sicknesses of all kinds. My only rest day was a Sabbath, and that time was the only pastor. The church grew from 60 people to 300 to 500 to 800. So my Sabbath days were very precious, but on my Sabbath days, without a doubt, my mom, as she, as she went through a bad period of anxiety and the hypochondria played up, she wants to see the doctor. And on this particular Monday, I was so tired from a weekend that was burned, a whole week of ministry, meetings, etc. And she kept telling me from morning, I want to see a doctor. She I couldn't see that she was visibly ill, but some pain here, some pain there. I said, I'll go and rest first, then I'll, I'll take you later. But she kept saying she has to go and see a doctor, go and see a doctor. I went upstairs and as she kept repeating that, I raised my voice and shouted at her. In my quiet times with God, after my mom has passed away, Whenever I remember that incident, I still shed a tear. How could I do that to my mum? You never intend that as a son. You never intend to do that as a daughter. 
You don't intend to do that as a spouse, to betray your spouse. But we have fallen short of the glory of God. No good intentions is going to cancel that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when you get on your knees and the Spirit of God works in you, He brings you to that confession of your fallenness. Just in case you think that in progressive first world Singapore, we have arrived somewhere, you need to ask yourself, where? Somewhere in God's ladder of success or somewhere in the human scale of success, you firstly got to agree that you live and you fall short of the glory of God. Only then will you hunger and thirst for the new glory that you can never have by any law that you conceive of, any effort that you expend, but only in the effort of Jesus on the cross. The thorough love of Jesus will redeem you to glory. That is the journey Paul is taking you on. And his personal experience was Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. The very thing I want to do, I do not do. The very thing I do not want to do, I do. Oh, wretched. Who will save me from this body? Thanks be to God. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Are you on that highway? From inglorious lives to glory? Or else you're only on one highway, the inglorious highway to eternal damnation. Jesus is the only one who can take you from the highway of the inglorious highway to the glorious highway by believing in him. So when he speaks about the spirit and the flesh here, right, he's not speaking about duality, that there are two parts in me, but he's speaking about authority. You need to choose. There are two powers at work in you. There are two influences of your life. You either choose to live by the flesh and you live with the fake imagination that you're getting better and you are a nice person and you're going to heaven. Or you choose to live with a stark realization of your sinfulness and your fallenness of God's glory and realize that only Jesus can put you on the path to true glory in Him. Uh, what does that mean? That means as we end the service and sing the closing hymn of Christ, our hope in life and death, you would make this choice. You would not think that this choice is for somebody else. That this choice is for your father. Oh, if only my father came to this service and listened to this wonderful sermon. Or if only my son came. This is firstly a choice you make. This is not a choice that somebody makes. We all make this choice. You are either the, under the influence of Satan and sin, which you try to overcome by your own laws, or you're under the influence of Jesus, who grants you a righteousness from God. That's the spirit of life. And then he moves on to the spirit of adoption. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So what are the benefits of sonship? God gives you the authority. Jesus alone, by his finished work, gives you the authority and the permission to call the creator of the world, the, the ruler of the universe, Abba, Father. So sometimes at membership services or we meet them, people come from Catholic backgrounds or former Catholic backgrounds to see the baptisms of their loved ones here. And when they come to a Protestant setting, um, they call their priest father, so they know I'm the pastor, I'm preaching, they know the pastor's here. They might inadvertently, unintentionally call me 
Father Chia. And then all of a sudden I have to say to them, uh, I, I'm not Father Chia. Only my children can call me Father. <laughs> right? We are just pastors. We are servants of the gospel. It's, it's a light-hearted character. What gives you the right to call the creator of the world, the ruler of the universe, your Father? It is the most intimate term of endearment reserved only for those washed by the blood of Christ, strengthened by the Holy Spirit to live as sons and daughters of God. And so he goes on. And what does he go on to? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that, do you see the words in colour? That we may also be glorified with him. That is the whole purpose of God sending Son from inglorious lives to glorious lives in Christ and with Christ and like Christ. And so adoption in the Roman world was very prevalent. Adoption in our world, how prevalent? I don't know. Of a thousand couples, maybe five adopt kids, ten adopt kids. But adoption in the Roman world was totally different. The adopted children are granted legal rights, not just to be children, but heir, not of some things, but heir of everything. And one scholar listed this, that in the life of Emperor Julius Caesar, well-known emperor, no doubt that he existed, he firstly adopted Octavian as his son. Then Octavian rose to be the sole heir. And finally, that sole heir was, he became Emperor Augustus. And what did he inherit from his father? The most powerful empire at the time, the Roman Empire. Likewise, God as ruler of the universe has adopted undeserving you and me, unexpected you and I, not simply to be his children, because you may have children, but you choose to give your inheritance completely or the majority to one favourite child. But God has given us, made us, heirs of everything that he has given Christ, his glory. So sonship and heirs has a condition. If we are children, then heirs, but we must suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So our fallen short of God's glory to our redeemed glory with Christ. That is where he's taking us again and again and again. And so, where does that lead us? Thirdly, in this final portion of Romans, he takes us not from this, simply the spirit who gives life versus death. He's the spirit who assures us we are adopted children and the heirs of God. He's now the spirit who takes us from suffering to glory. And what does he say? I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So what games have you played in school? What sports have you taken? I, I like running, I like athletics, I, I love badminton. Right? Can't play it now as we get older, can't play it as much. Right? But above all, I love volleyball, because part of the school team and love. In some of those games we won, in some of those games we lost, right? And uh, there was always one game I played from young, I never won. Sitting on the seesaw. Because I was always liked. I will never win, 
right? Because you win by being the one down here. So I'm always in the up position. So let me be lighthearted. Is Mona here? If Mona and me got on a seesaw, who do you think will win? I don't know, I don't know. I better be careful, I better be slightly careful, slightly careful. So keep asking yourself, right? As you could have been about the same way when you got married at your wedding, but now, 10 years later, who will win the seesaw thing? And so this seesaw illustration is, suffering is the heavy weight on this side. And sometimes you're so weighed down by the sufferings of this world, you'll always be a loser. Let me add two more assets to that. Satan works on sin and then suffering. But as long as I, Chris got Christ on my side, I just need to put the glory of Christ on my side, we will win. That's what he's talking about. Our present suffering seems so heavyweight, but when we look at our future glory, it will turn our present sufferings to nothing in comparison to the future glory. And you must see it clearly. Because when we suffer, what are you most tempted to do? When you suffer, what are you most tempted to do? When you suffer, what are you most tempted to feel? When you suffer, what are you most tempted to think? When you suffer, what are you most tempted to do? You're most tempted to keep staring at your suffering. Keep staring at it. You stare long enough at your suffering, it will trip you up from your final destination of glory in Christ and with Christ. And so he speaks that on this journey, as we suffer, there will be groanings. I can only summarize here. For the, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so, suffering and groaning, here in this portion, as you read the entire portion, Paul speaks of three types of groaning. Firstly, there's the groaning of creation. And why does creation groan? And who has subjected creation to groaning? It is God. God telling us, this is not who I created you to be. This is not the life I meant for you. This is not the world as it should be. Whether you face natural disasters, whether you face man-made disasters, and that's why you panic when the Japanese government releases treated water back into the seas. It causes tensions because they don't know how unsafe this treated water is in terms of radioactivity. Paul is telling you something very clear. Sin is totally unsafe. You don't need to test it. And the wages of sin is death. You will surely die. And there's only one way out of it. So as we live with our fallen lives, you're always groaning, this is not the son I'm supposed to be. I shouldn't have shouted at my mother. And my tiredness is no excuse against that. However you have grown, you're groaning. You are not living out your full potential. You're fallen short of the glory of God. Then there's the groaning of Christians. That God has an answer. That creation will not just go on with this groaning. But then the sons and daughters of God come. And then we groan, we groan with the certainty, I've heard the gospel, I believe in Jesus, but that doesn't immunize me from present sufferings. And the present sufferings is going to list them very soon. Five types of things that comes against us. And then he says, and we don't know how to pray when we suffer. He says, don't worry. 
That's why God has given you the Spirit. The Spirit will intercede for you with wordless prayers. And however you fall short in your prayers and your groaning, the Spirit of God praying to God will always accomplish the will of God. So your father is terminally ill. Your young child is born and the doctor says no chance of survival. Within a week, that child is going to die. What do you pray? You pray for a miracle, you pray for the prolonging of life or the taking of life. Which do you pray? I bet you, you know not how to pray. You know not what to pray. And in the life that we live, just in case you haven't realised, in the fallen world that we live, your life is a series of losses. A series of losses. You could have lost your dad and mum when, when you were very young. And sometimes it takes forever to overcome the loss of your dad and mum. You look at people who have their fathers and mothers and you envy them. Why does God, why did God take dad? Why did God take mum? You could have lost out in the academic line. You were never good academically. You lose your job. And finally, you lose loved ones to death. But we gain finally in Christ. We do not know how to live. We do not know how to pray. But the Spirit lives within us. And it's a little bit like that. The groaning of creation, we may cry out to God, whether we are spot on with God's will, maybe on, maybe off. The groaning of Christians, believers in Christ, we are perhaps more in line with God's will, but even at this moments of intense testing and intense suffering, you know not what to pray through your feeble knees and your blinkered eyes, because your tears blind you to the love of God. But the Spirit of God lives within you. And when He groans on your behalf, it will always accomplish the will of God. This was from Christopher Ash, the writer, the pastor. And I highly commend this chapter that he wrote on this. So in that sense, if you're assured, because the Spirit of God works in you, you're assured that even your flawed prayers are covered up, covered over, by the Spirit of God interceding for us. That, gives, that doesn't lead you to be, uh, anyhow just pray lah, in Singlish, anyhow just pray. You pray with all your mind, but God has given you the Spirit to pray. And we know that those who long, who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is the punchline of Romans 8. This is the punchline of the whole of Romans. This is the punchline of the whole Bible. God has one purpose from Genesis to Revelation, to conform you and me to the likeness of Jesus. Only then will you bear the glory of God. In no other way will you bear the glory of God forever, but by conforming to the likeness of His Son. And so the Spirit, present suffering and future glory and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, if we turn on the thing, don't, don't turn it off. Can you remember the five things that Paul said about your Christian life from beginning to end of Christian life? He foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. And so why is this important? In the words of John Stott, here are the five assuring markers of your salvation journey. In eternity past, God for new. For new doesn't mean 
He had prior knowledge of you. He had a prior choice. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. And then his prior choosing of you worked out in predestination. And then you experience it in your earthly life. The two things eternally past and present is what God experiences in heaven, is what he does. Then you experience it when in 1979, a friend invited me to the Billy Graham crusade in Sydney, and then I said yes to Jesus after that. I experienced my calling here on earth. And then after God calls us, he justifies us. As he justifies us, he sanctifies us. And sanctifies us, he glorified us. I wanted to use the present tense, but notice the tense that Paul used. It's all past. He didn't say, you shall be glorified. He didn't say, you will be glorified. He just says, for those he foreknew, he predestined. For those he predestined, he called. For those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. That means you arriving in heaven is a done thing. You know, in Thailand, you may win the elections. You may not be the prime minister. It's not a done thing. You won the elections. Have you ever booked a flight, but you never got on the flight? Because something happened. You will never get on the gospel aeroplane and then never arrive there. God has booked you on the flight. You will arrive. That is the greatest of assurances. So we call it the gospel hammer. What God began here, tied to one end, eternity past. He foreknew you. He tied the other end. He glorified. Nothing and no one will stop you in this journey as you experience the suffering even as you are called child of God. And so, just in case you don't know what a hammock is, this is a hammock, right? It's tied at both ends. Okay? Because yesterday I preached, then some younger folks said, what's a hammock? Hello. We Singaporeans are so stressed, we don't know what a hammock is. Right? Filipinos will know, Malaysians will know, right? Latin Americans will know, but Singaporean, hammock, how to spell? It is a certainty. Right? As you swing, you, your destiny, your starting point is secure, your ending point is secure. And that's to conform you to the likeness of Christ. Are you assured? Are you on this gospel hammock? You're chill in Jesus. Hang tight to Jesus, hang loose with life. Hang tight to Jesus, hang loose with suffering. Because you are glorified already. Some days it looks so dark you can't wake up to tomorrow. Some days you're so depressed, you can't see the hope of tomorrow. You might as well end it today. And so you think to yourself, and so you must read Romans 8, for those he foreknew, he also glorified. Your ending is sure, and he ends with the love of God, expressed in the work of Christ, and then the love of Christ. With the work of Christ, there are five unanswerable questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? So there will be opponents in our journey of following Jesus. Verse 32, if God did not spare His Son, will He not give us all things? Now that God has done the hardest thing, He gave you the most precious person in His life, His Son. After He has given you the most precious person, when you are enemy of God, will He give you any less now that you are a child of God? Think about it. He gave you His Son when you were His enemies. Will he give you anything less now that you are his children? He's done the harder thing. 
He will surely provide for you. He will surely journey with you. Who will bring any charge? There will be accusers along the way. Who is there to, be, to condemn us? There will be condemners along the way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There will be opposers, there will be condemners, there will be accusers, there will be separators. Be very mindful as we live here in the zone of suffering en route to heaven. And so present suffering, future glory. We may face unspeakable suffering. It's unspeakable. We may face impossible odds. And think of Christians in countries where they are persecuted. Singapore does not suffer that now. Ours is an end by compared to many brothers and sisters in Christ whose jobs are taken, whose lives are taken, who are martyred because they believe in Jesus. We may face unjust accusations that pierce the heart and break our spirit, but we will be rewarded with incomparable glory. Remember that seesaw, the heavy weight of God's glory outweighs everything. So the Prime Minister has given us a new term now. How many of you now fall into the new category called, called young seniors, is it? All those are young elderly, is it? Young seniors. All those who are young seniors, put up your hands. Hey, we are a church, huh? tell the truth. 50 and above. Ah, yo. Right, 50 and above. Just when you thought you started to believe the 50s and now the 40s, the 40s and now the 30s, now I'm a young senior, right? And so when you arrive in your seniors, many of us as Chinese, we highest rate of myopia in the world, you might start wearing bifocals. I wear bifocals. So I look down, I can read my Bible, my manual Bible, with very tiny scripts, right? Eight points, I think, but barely. I have to look so closely, right? Then when I walk up, I do not walk up like that. I walk up and look. If I keep looking at my sufferings just at close distance, I will lose my long-distance destination. I will trip over. And Satan's work is to get you fixated on your suffering, so focused, so single-minded on your suffering, you lose sight of your Saviour and the glory. So I encourage you as we end our time, be bifocals. And some, <laughs> some say, I, I don't want to wear bifocals. I'll never show that I'm a senior. You are a senior. La. Wear the bifocals. Come on. Wear the bifocals for your future glory. You will see your suffering. But what's a failed exam in the light of eternity? What's a broken relationship in the light of eternity? What's a failed business in the light of eternity? What's a broken relationship in the light of eternity? What's illness in the light of glorified bodies? Everything finds its proper place if you wear bifocal lenses. And then he says, the spirit does not harden us to suffering, but soften us to God's love in Christ. You have taken my child, you have taken my father, I have taken my father. Oh God, what is this? Jesus, you are Lord, what is this? When we call you to read Romans 8, it's not to be insensitive, it's not to harden you. The Spirit of God always works in you to soften you to God's love and sovereignty. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He doesn't seem like the answer now, but He is the answer. He is both our chaperone and the champion of Jesus. The Spirit of God will always whisper to you, whatever Satan throws at you, right? And how does He end here? 
Look at how he ends. Knowing all these things, we are far more, we are more than conquerors. So we are not victims, we are victors. We are conquerors, we are not conquered. Through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. And so he's recalling anything the entire universe will set you. Life, death, no. Anything in all creation, no. And in the ancient world, they thought that different powers rule different parts of the universe. And so we need to get this right as we end our time together. Whatever Satan throws at us, through spiritual beings, fallen spiritual beings, and evil human beings, he cannot destroy God's love for us. So whatever Satan throws at us, always choose Jesus. Always. From young to old. And so speaking to a, a group of Christian leaders, they met me a moment and said, How, you know, share about your growth, and then we shared. What, so ask what about yourself, your church, any encouraging thing? Because sometimes they just speak about all the discouraging things, the numbers are falling, the youth are leaving. I say, wow, the, the most encouraging thing for my church this year, about 200 people is, you know, one of the youth, he was really a rascal in children's church. He hated children's church. And every week when he came and the teachers asked for prayer, he only prayed one prayer. I pray for the church building to burn down. <laughs> he consistently prayed that prayer. He prayed for the church building to burn down. And the leader shared with me, you know what? We just installed him as a deacon of the church. <laughs> they had to wait 20 years for him to grow up. You may see the hopelessness in a child who hates Sunday school, who hates going to our youth fellowship basic. It's damn boring, you know, every week. So, mom, can I not go? That's the language they use. That's what they think, the vehemence. But you don't give up praying. You pray that the love of Jesus will cover and one day this child, far from burning down the church, he will stay back and build the church. Whatever life throws at you, you choose Jesus. Amen? That's the spirit of life. That's the spirit of adoption. And that's the spirit of glory that God has given to us. Amen. Let's stand and pray together. As you sing this closing song after that prayer, Whenever God speaks, you've got to reflect. And reflect honestly. Confess freely. And believe fully in Jesus. What will stand in the way of us receiving your eternal glory in Christ? We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've spoken and written this to Paul the Apostle of the dangers of relying on law to cure sin, which was never to be, and dangers of us not understanding why suffering still comes upon us, and especially upon us, as we are the children of God. We thank you that there is now no condemnation for all of us in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And help us to understand that nothing and no one in all creation is going to take, you, take us away from your love for us in Christ Jesus. We pray that you set us on this path that we will live with no condemnation. 
with the true liberation of being your children, that we'll be fully assured that we are adopted children of God. You've turned us from enemies to be your children and heirs together with Christ. And we pray that by your Spirit, we will see clearly our present suffering in the light of our future glory. And that future glory is worth delaying gratification for. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.